Hey there, everybody, and welcome out. We have another podcast here today. My name's Scott Durfee, joined as always by my partner, David Durfee. Say Good hi, to Dave. See you, Scott, everybody. Uh, beautiful winter morning, and uh, hope that you're all uh, doing well. And I've been thinking, Scott, about uh, life, and sometimes, you know, we're thankful for life. But I was thinking uh, this week that I need to be more thankful for my life. Even even in our trials, you know, we all have different trials. And uh, not all of our lives are even close to being the same. And uh, I was just thinking the other day, and, and the Spirit kind of washed over me. You need to be th- more thankful for your life. Find joy in your life, not just in life in general, in the general. So... Well, there's a, uh, a a load of wisdom in that, and an indictment for me, <laughs> because I'm in the exact same boat. Right? <laughs> I I've actually had, in fact, you know, I, I talk often about how I do a tenth step inventory, which will, you know, those of you who are unfamiliar with that, you'll get familiar with it as we go along. But uh, each night, uh, most nights, and I've been pretty good at it since the first of the year. Each night, I take a personal inventory of my my uh, character defects and even some of the things that are going right just so that I can keep this ship on track right it's kind of like the daily repentance right yeah yeah that's what that's what that's all it really is yeah that's all it's It's, a conscious conscious effort of daily repentance and then you know as part of that you know we're encouraged to when we're wrong or when we're uh, amiss or things aren't in sort to just kind of promptly fix that but I need to be more thankful for my life too, and so this is uh, this. I, I need to not just be thankful, but find joy in my life. In my life, yeah, that's in what God that, has, yeah, in what God has given me, even in my trials and my tribulations. Yeah, you joy. Know, I, I don't know. Again, I I can't quit thinking about that scripture that President Nelson used several conferences ago, describing how did Jesus, how did how did he do the atonement. How did he have the power or or strength to do the atonement? Then he quotes that scripture in Hebrews, right? right? Yeah. That it was for the joy. Yeah. And he was saying, wow, he really stresses that, that for the joy. You, do you have it there? Yeah, you have it right here in Hebrews 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, actually. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. So, who, for, for the, the joy. joy, set before him. Yeah. So, what was the joy? What do you think that joy was? The joy set before him. Was that the joy of, of him seeing the the end? Was it the joy of, uh, I, I mean, when I mean the end, I mean eternity, that he could see the effects of his sacrifice, the effects of his suffering, that he could see uh, his his becoming glorified, uh, becoming like his father. Was that the joy that was set before him, or or was it the 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 the, the healing and the the balm of Gilead and and the uh, strength and mercy and grace that it provided me and you and all of us? What what was the joy that was set before him? That gave him the motivation to endure the cross. To endure it. Yeah. 
I don't know. I think that joy, it's probably a culmination of many things, right? But for me, I think maybe that joy would come through our redemption. Yeah, seeing us redeemed. Seeing us redeemed, seeing us enabled, seeing us compensated for because of, uh, through through his atonement, seeing those things, but especially the redemption, which enables us to become heirs, joint heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God, right? Wish we could all... uh all see that yeah me too we you know see the joy that was set before him and see the joy that is set before us in our life you know i was feeling kind of sorry for myself actually this week you know with my with my son who's who's messed up on his parole and probation and he's gone back to a halfway house i mean he he was headed back to prison but we us talking to his uh, the authorities, uh, we were able to get him in a halfway house. But I don't know why this time it's different because this is a battle we've been um, kind of engaged in in a, a trial that's over several years now. But for some reason, it just it just really kind of put me in a hole. I, I was trying to think about it and wondering why. Why is this time different? And what is this I'm actually feeling? Because I, I, I just... I wasn't. I was just so kind of down about it. Uh, maybe even a little angry about it, mostly because he wasn't being honest about it. But anyway, a lo- lot of different uh, parts to this, and um, I'll just get to the point. I was trying to verbalize what I was feeling to my sweetheart the other day as we were driving. I'd really thought about this, and I said. So, uh, Chris, I, I just need to verbalize how I'm feeling, and, and please just listen. I started out by saying, you know, I don't feel any condemnation for our son. I don't feel any condemnation. I'm, I'm his dad. I'm not his judge. So I, there's no condemnation. What I am feeling is complete devastation. And... I, you know, as I as I was talking it through, and I said, I, I don't even feel desperation. There's no despair. I was actually thinking of Scripture in Moroni, I think it's 10.22, that despair cometh because of iniquity. And I didn't want to be guilty of that. I think, I think really, all desperation, um, despair, is the result of sin and iniquity, or the lack of faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement, or not receiving in our lives the grace and mercy, compensatory blessings that are available to us. So I, I, I understand despair was not something that I wanted to feel either, and I wasn't really when I thought about it consciously. But I was feeling devastation, and then I said, and I'm feeling frustration. I'm feeling de- um, devastation, I mean, we were we'd bought him a new car. We were going to get him in a in a in a condo or buy him a trailer, or we were going to do all these things, Scott, to get him on his two feet again and help him to be independent, believing that he had surely learned his lesson and that he wouldn't uh, uh, do those things again ever. And uh, and then I I just I just realized, wow, um, it, it it's not he's not fixed, and it was just devastating to me. And so I've, I've just been thinking about this a lot this week. About uh, so, 
I, w- I went through this pity party kind of, right? And uh, something of a, you know, uh, feeling sorry for myself, I guess, to some degree, as well as frustration in his lack of accountability and lack of honesty. But I, I think it's important for us as individuals and as parents to understand the difference between these terms. Yeah. Desperation is really not appropriate. Devastation is, I think, part of life because of expectations. And no condemnation. No condemnation. And, uh, however, lots of frustration. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've been trying to deal with all those emotions this week, and then then it hit me. You need to be... You need to find joy in your life. And I, I, I had a dear friend who, who was really down this week. They, they have a, a, a youth, a, a young man in their family, a son who was going to go on a mission. He's had lots of problems, right? And he was going to go on a mission, and he, he, he was ready to go, and it was a great miracle, right? And then this week, he, I saw them, and the father said, he's not going to go. And I could see just the father was so devastated, so down. And and I was going through this too, right? But then it came into my mind, Scott, this amazing talk that given by Elder uh, Rasband. He gave us talk to seminaries and institute teachers, evening with the general authority. You can find it in a broadcast on the church website, and uh, I think it was back in 2019. Darn it, I didn't put down the year. But it's an evening with General Authority, Elder Rasband, and he talks about the the, the challenges of our youth and uh, even suicide, that he was on a commission appointed by President Nelson to be on this state commission representing the church on how to help our youth who, who uh, struggle with suicide. And uh, he talked about Jesus is always the answer. Jesus is always the answer. And not just for our children, Scott, but when we feel devastated, <laughs> when we feel frustrated. It, Jesus, we, we, always, we know Jesus is there for our children if they would just take advantage of it, right? right. Yeah, that's right. And then we're all depressed because of our children, and we're not feeling any joy in my life because of my children or because of others who I love who are making bad choices. And so they're killing my joy in my life, circumstances in my life. And we should all, we should all remember, but it's hard to remember when you're so close to it. You know, and this, this good friend of mine was, was a bishop, and he knows. And I, I turned to him and I said, so you need to read this talk. Jesus is the answer. And I said, and it's not just for your son. You need to read the talk because Jesus is the answer for what you're feeling right now. And then it hit me that that was really for me. And <laughs> since I have thought about the atonement of Jesus Christ more the latter half of the week than I did the first half of the week, my prayers are more meaningful. I feel more joy. I feel more spirit. My spirits are being more lifted. I, I just We just have to really remember and exercise our faith in that scott that um, because of the joy set before him 
and we need to exercise that in our lives as well. So find joy in your life and understand the difference between desperation and devastation and condemnation and frustration. So let's take a second. First off, so that, that's a great talk. Jesus Christ is the answer. That's uh, February of 2019. You can find that. Just Google it or go to the church website. Uh, great, great it's talk. It's under broadcast. Yep. So let's talk just a second, Dave. What does um, devastation look like? How does that feel oh, to man. you? <laughs> what? When you say, I recognize I'm devastated, I want to know, well, like what does that like mean? Hole. It's, it kind of puts you in a hole. Just a feeling then? Yeah. It's just it's a, just a cloudy. Like foreboding feeling. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like I was in darkness, but no. I felt like I was in a fog. Yeah. And I was just, oh, man. You lose some hope, really. Yeah. There, you know, you're... I didn't. I don't think I lost complete hope. I think that's desperation. Yeah. But um, but I lost some hope, and uh, you just really feel this uh, uh, sadness. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I. I and there, and there's a reason I ask that. You know, because of my involvement um, in recovery groups for the last 24 years. Um, helping myself, not others. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I'm going there for me. I'm not a professional <laughs> counselor or anything like that. I'm a professional drinker who hasn't drank since uh, 1998 uh, because of that. But I go there and I and I see Even this. Even though you're sponsoring, yeah, what, eight guys? Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, and, and uh, you know, but I still go. I, I even do that for me. I don't sponsor, I mean, I do for them, but it's my program, you know, I'm getting a little tiny bit off track here, but I do need to clarify that when I sponsor somebody, that's me working my program. That's not me working the service, their service, the joy set before yeah. you. Step 12 in Alcoholics Anonymous is really an emphasis on helping others, right? Service. Yeah, it, it, but it's my step 12. It's uh -huh. not their step 12. Uh -huh. It's my step 12 that I'm doing. But as I do this, I, I hear desperation. I see desperation, and I hear devastation, and I see devastation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and to me, as I'm working and as I'm observing and as, you know, not just in my own life, but observing these uh, concepts and phenomenon in other people's lives, the difference to me between those two is devastation. There is still hope. If it's just this devastation, right. you know, if you can combine that's that, I, that's what I've concluded this week. Yeah, if you can, can if you can um, combine that devastation with, and, and that's why, you know, when when we work the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's why the first step is is just an admission that I can't, right? Uh, came to, I, 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 I'm, no, I'm powerless over alcohol. My life's become unmanageable. And the second one is, is I come to believe that there's somebody who can. Yeah, Jesus Christ. That's what this whole podcast is about for me and for many other Christian alcoholics across the world. That's what it is. And then the third one is, is we turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand yeah. him, which is wow. what that is. Then those devastations have hope. Desperation, not much. But we do consider often uh, desperation as one of the four horsemen in Alcoholics Anonymous, which can, through the right lens, also be a gift. Huh can also be a gift because, you know, we, we often refer to it as the gift of desperation. Huh. And, the, and the key to understanding the gift of desperation and how that can become a gift is really, and, and we'll transition now into our topic, but it's really, 
it, it, it really pivots on the success behind that, to, if that can be a gift or not, really pivots on beginning to see ourselves for who we really are. Well, and, and rely not on our own strength or the arm of the flesh, but, but to relying rely. wholly on the merits of he who is mighty to save. Correct. Well, um, I, I, I have learned in the past, Scott, with all that I've, I've been through with, with, uh, being a dad and, yeah. and, uh, having children, which we'll all have in this world. Uh, just, well, and you have other experiences in. that go beyond that too, because of your service and leadership positions in the church. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it so much in the church and, yeah. uh, in church councils and other other means and other other friends and loved ones, but anyway, I, I've just come to the conclusion really that that I, I know from experience that you can have joy in sorrow if you're focused on Jesus Christ. That's right, and you can even have peace in, in tribulation and turmoil. If you're focused on Jesus Christ. You can even have peace in devastation, Dave. Well, that's what I forgot. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just, you know, we're just all sinners helping sinners here, right? And uh, the, the fall and all of that kind of got the best of me, the fall of others, uh, and my own personal fall. And I just... I do think it's okay to feel devastation. That's right. It's natural, and it's motivating. Well, it or and it can be motivating without condemnation. So I I I just thought it was kind of interesting for me to, as I communicated that to my sweetheart, what I kind of learned from all of that, and I I don't want to forget what I've learned. Ah, what a gift. What a gift. Sometimes our greatest gifts come through um, work, through things that may be a little uncomfortable, through, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, well, for sure. The greatest lessons we'll ever learn in this yeah. life come to us from uh, trials and tribulations, and that's how we that's how we grow, and that's how we progress, and that's just part of mortality, right? Yeah. Well, and it's a testament, too, that we're all human, we're all mortal. You've been teaching the atonement of Jesus Christ and the power from it for over 30 years. You've lived it, and I've been a witness to you living it for your whole life, or at least my whole life. And, uh, you know, we just never quite arrive but, in this but life, even, do we? Even the, even the prophets yeah, right. can, for a moment, have a little bit of a uh, forgetting and I love that. <laughs> I actually. I mean, we don't believe anybody's infallible no. in this life, and everybody, church leaders and others, and I guess everybody except the Savior Himself, right? You know, yeah, uh, yeah. probably have had a a pity party in their life. And uh, Scott, the greatest lessons we learned in our pre-mortality were the result of adversity, yeah. the war in heaven. That's right. That's what we talked about last week, uh, that adversity there and how it affected us and how we chose to follow him. We began to establish our identity as sons of, and daughters of Christ, even in, pre, in our pre-mortal life. We began to uh, commit to looking for and, and uh, searching out to remembrance of our testimony, which we talked about last week. We 
All of these things that are just part of the grand plan of happiness, David. That yeah. uh, you know that makes uh, that makes compensation and makes room <laughs> for our pity parties. That makes room for our devastation and all the other trials that we feel. Think how uh, sad that must have been for us, and the tears that must have been shed in heaven when one third of the host of heaven, our spirit brothers and sisters. God's spirits, sons and daughters, one third of them who rejected him as their father and followed an evil uh, person who wanted to overthrow God. Eventually, I think that was, I don't know that, that he actually came out and said that, but I believe in his heart of hearts, that was his motive and intent, was to overthrow the plan of God, thus overthrowing God himself and him replacing him as the God of the universe. Now, even though that was a philosophical impossibility, I believe that Satan, who was a liar from the beginning, uh, father of all lies, that, uh, he, you know, and this is what happens, right? When you, when you lie enough, you end up believing your lies. And I believe he believed he could do it, even though it was all a lie. Everything about him was a lie. But he was so persuasive, and one-third of the host followed him. And I, as I thought over the years, Scott, about how, how, why would one-third follow him? Well, other than his, uh, his, uh, what's the, his flattery, which he must have used there because he, we know he uses it here. His deception, which he used there because we know he uses it here. The, his his uh, ability to get others to follow him must have been based to some degree upon the fears that maybe some people had there, that some had uh, allowed fear to enter their hearts because they wondered if they could really make it in mortality. They knew it was going to be hard. We must have had a glimpse of some of our adversities and tribulations and the 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 war that would uh, actually be continued here upon earth. And uh, we must have had some fears and doubts perhaps over there and those who he influenced the most were those who had the most fear and doubt and he told this uh whether it was about force and coercion and keeping commandments maybe there was a group that believed that and he knew they would believe that and they would like that and that's what he did i don't know because i hear that word taught often in the church but i prefer to believe that he persuaded most people over there in the pre-mortal existence to follow him because he told them that they didn't need a savior. They didn't need a redeemer. There wouldn't be any commandments. There would be no accountability. They could do anything they wanted. Sort of a mortal free for all. Yeah. The church of what's happening now. Yeah. Or, do your own thing yeah. and I'll save you Yeah. and I'll get the glory. And others looked at that as a, a very appealing opportunity. And so they followed him. It, he made it look easy. He, he made it look like it, that would be the easy road. And it seems like to me most of his temptations and uh, the sins and addictions here are based upon that same lie. So anyway, that war in heaven continues. We talked a little bit about that and how we overcame him there through the blood of the Lamb, 
the atonement of Jesus Christ, our Savior, through the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. That's Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And, and if we're going to overcome him here, the way we overcame him there, if we're going to be victorious in this war that continues in mortality, that all started in pre-mortal existence, then we need to focus on those three things. And I think the first one's the most important, actually, is through the blood of the Lamb, through the word of our testimony, and then to be so committed that for the joy that's set before us, that we're willing to go to the wall or even die for what we know to be true. If we'll do that, we can flourish in this life. Scott, uh, the pre-moral existence is, is real to me, and I think it's such an important part of our identity. And I had an experience some time ago with that, giving a patriarchal blessing to a young woman. But before I t- jump into that story, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I do. You, you mentioned that, uh, you know, in the, in the war in heaven, it, there, it was a philosophical impossibility what Satan was proposing uh, and, a, and a religious and a spiritual impossibility and all those other things. It was an impossibility. Well, uh, the, uh, the same tactic he uses today. Uh, yeah. he, and he's getting a second chance yeah. at, at some of us. You know, we were all there, and you know, some of us. And, and it, and, and I get, uh, it, I get sick when I think about. It. I wonder if any of my pre-mortal friends went the other way. I, I you know, and it's, yeah, and it's right. silly to think about that, but it's a realistic. It's a. I think about those things. You Absolutely. know, I wonder if I had friends, and if I did, did they know me? And if I did, are they still trying to get me to? come their way you know and right. and and i think that that philosophical impossibility that religious that that spiritual impossibility that we were that was pre- that was propagated and perpetuated there is being perpetuated here today in mortality as well and because of the fall that is allowed to continue to take place we're going to get into the fall and its effects in a in a upcoming episode and we'll talk about that in in more detail later but that, that philosophical impossibility, that religious and spiritual impossibility that so many of our brothers and sisters bought into there is still being bought into today. It is. Yeah. And it's just all a lie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think Alma kind of said this right in Alma chapter 42, verse 10. There's, there's, no, there's no happiness in wickedness. Yeah. You, you can't sin and be happy. You can't do wrong and feel right. You, you will never find joy, true joy, in, in the pleasures of sin. And it's just so important, I think, that we distinguish between joy and pleasure in this life. And Satan's just so smooth, so sophisticated on trying to get us to, to find pleasure, comfort, and ease. You know, it's the eat, drink, and be merry with uh, no responsibility we die and yeah. God will beat us with a few stripes and it's no big deal. And we really talked a lot about it, you know, last week, I believe, or maybe it was the week when we talked about an intentional life, but either way, you know, there's so much spiritual relativity now that, uh, you know, is, and I think that's what 
I think that's an example yeah. of a philosophical, religious, spiritual impossibility. Yeah. No. Anyway, no. yeah, no. I, I wanted, to, I just wanted to touch on that because I felt like those were uh, things that stood out to me, and I just wanted to kind of emphasize that further. But I'm anxious to hear about your story. Well, identity, as we talked about last week, I think determines eternity. And it's such an important part of the plan of redemption to know who we are, to know that we are sons and daughters of God and that he loves us. Just a, a thousand, thousand times a thousand more than mortal parents. Yeah. Good mortal parents can love their children here. I mean, God is, um, he is intentional and intense in his love for us. I I know that, and um, I know it all started in the pre-mortal existence. Um, and everything that he's done to carry out the plan of redemption, even the pl- the whole plan of redemption itself, is, is, is done and carried out because of his love for us. The, the, I, I, it's amazing, the giving, the gift of his son, you know, as John wrote it so eloquently in John 3:16 for God so loved the world so loved the world each of us that he gave his only begotten son sacrificed him that whosoever believed in him would have sure. everlasting life who they would not perish and they would have everlasting life. Anyway, I, I'm really thankful for that plan of redemption. And uh, to know who we are and that we lived with him and that we experienced uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ and the love of God even in the pre-mortal existence, I think it's just really an important part to strengthen us here. That we, that we fought this war in heaven and that we were warriors and defenders of the faith. I've used that term quite a bit in some patriarchal blessings I've given. I gave a blessing not very long ago and told this young woman that she was an organizer in the pre-mortal existence and that she should or be an organizer here in righteousness and organize individuals here to, uh, to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. But um, but, uh, this is early on when many years ago when I was first called to be a patriarch, fairly early within the first year or two, I had a young woman call me up one Sunday afternoon. She said, I I need to schedule to get a patriarchal blessing. And um, she sounded a little bit older, so I was just asking about her and wanting to get to know her a little bit in, in our phone interview. And she told me, explained to me that she had not been to church in 16 years, that she uh, had had two children out of wedlock uh, after leaving the church at the age of 16, and uh, that one of her children was now eight years old. She wanted to get her baptized, and so she went back to church. And she, this young woman was 32 years old. And she said, I, I, so I went to church today, took my two, two daughters for the first time, and the bishop came down and talked to me. I told her that I wanted to get my little girl baptized, and he called me in the office. And in our conversation, he said, 
have you received your have you ever received a patriarchal blessing and she said no and he said well i i think you should get one and uh after visiting with her he gave her a, a recommend to get a patriarchal blessing and she calls me and so we schedule it a few weeks out and uh, the day arrived and she came and i wasn't shocked but when i opened the door there stood this beautiful young woman covered with tattoos and piercings wearing her hair in dreadlocks and uh, i invited her in and we went into my office and we talked some more and and um, i felt impressed that the, today was the day that god wanted to give her a blessing and uh, felt was filled with god's love for her as soon as i put my hands on her head and this doesn't always happen scott it's happened a few other times but not to the same uh, detail as this as this one i could see her in her pre-mortal existence as a young as a young girl um dressed in a white dress playing she was playing in the pre-mortal existence and just running around playing and i could i could see the, her characteristics and get a glimpse of her personality there and then i became aware off to the off to the side uh, her heavenly parents looking upon her and smiling then all of this vision came to me as i am in the beginning of her patriarchal blessing and i'm trying to describe it and i keep using the word delight how her heavenly parents delighted in her in her pre-mortal existence and then at one point i've just really felt impressed uh, that god had a message for her and i had to say it in this way and i've never said it since and i had never said it before and i said heavenly father wants you to know that you are one of his favorites and that he has never been mad at you and at that point her head just fell into her lap i mean my my hands were suspended in midair because she 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 was overcome by the spirit and she just fell into a heap and just wept and i, I remember thinking oh <laughs> oh the love of god for his children we were both overcome by that the feeling of his love for his children. And I remember thinking, even Scott, in those few moments, you know, when she was weeping, I remember thinking, wow, if he's never been mad at her, he's probably never been mad at me. If he hasn't been mad at her, he's probably never been, I know he hasn't been mad at my wife. I, I He hasn't been mad at any of my kids. And, and I just... This this vision and this experience uh, gave me uh, a taste 
of the love and the character of God, um, how fiercely he loves his children in all their different conditions and circumstances. And um, anyway, I was thinking all of those thoughts in those few moments of silence. And she sat back up and the blessing continued and it was a beautiful blessing. And I know uh, her, I don't know where she is now, but I know that uh, she will never forget what we, bo- what we both shared and felt that day and on a Sunday, sun, sunny Sunday afternoon many years ago. What a great experience for you. And her, right? And and actually, you know, for all of us, because I, I think that's not a uncommon worry for those of us who have sinned, <laughs> and which includes all of us, I know. Uh, some of us feel like maybe we have to a greater degree than others and find it uh, kind of difficult to understand or believe that, how can I be one of his favorites? And how could he not be mad at me? I mean, I have literally intentionally even in some cases you yeah. know been so disobedient and and uh yeah what a well great experience is, I glad, i'm glad you had that so that the we truth can all is benefit. we're all his favorites yeah and i think the truth is scott that he's never been mad at us individually i've come to the conclusion personally as i read and understand the scriptures that the divine wrath of god which we read about in the scriptures especially the old testament and other places the divine wrath of God, or sometimes even maybe described as God's anger, is never about an individual or one of his children. It's about a whole society or a whole large group of people who are not taking care of his children. The divine wrath of God is totally out of love for his children. When when the earth became so wicked that he had to destroy it by a flood, it was it was not, it wasn't because he was mad at them or lost control. It was because he couldn't take away their agency and they had become so wicked that children born on the earth in those days never would have a shot idolatry had completely covered the earth and they had become so wicked in their human children sacrifice and abuse that God cannot send children to this earth without them being hurt. That's when his anger or divine wrath takes over is because or out of the love for his children. And when you understand that, that characteristic of God, it, like we talked about last time, when you comprehend, when you begin to comprehend the character of God, you should begin to comprehend yourself. Right. When you, when you understand how fiercely he loves you, that should tell you something about who you are as a child of God. So I just think it's really important that we, all of us, try to understand, you know, his character and how much he loves us. I think that oftentimes it's easy for individuals, myself included, often, to see God's love in other people. 
to 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 have somebody, for example, come to me and has you know just had a horrible life. Their life has been so full of conditions that has been so stacked against them, abuse and all, all kinds of other things. Uh, and, and yet they they can, as we start talking about this these kinds of things in recovery, because it's important for us to understand God and have that concept. Otherwise, that's third step where we turn our will and our life over to them. Him will be incomplete if we don't understand him at least a little bit properly. But it's so easy for us to see for me in the past and sometimes still how much God loves you or how much God would even though even though I know all this garbage about you it's easy for me oftentimes to see how much God loves you but Satan still is working that you know working accuser Scott the accuser is accusing me and so I can see it in you so to speak but it becomes so so much more difficult sometimes, Dave, for me to see it in me. Why would you? Why is that? I know it's so it's so sad. I I've heard individuals in the church, one who was uh, served in a presidency of Relief Society years ago when I was in a bishopric, and uh, you know, and and this uh, sweet woman. Uh, said to my wife and I, I have never felt the love of God. I, I That just, it just, it really hit me hard that some people, for whatever reason, and I don't know, Scott, the, I think it, it gets kind of complicated because I think sometimes out of abuse, manipulation, uh, relationships, other relationships they have with their father or their husband or men in general or i i can get kind of complicated yeah it can and there's about why people don't feel the love of god i had a friend in japan who would always call me up and say now tell me again how much god loves me because he was raised by a shinto father who was so authoritative and so manipulative that he he had kind of uh, uh what's the psychological term that that he had kind of transplanted his feelings for his father, earthly father, towards his heavenly father. And it was really hard for him to see a father as one who was kind and loving and compassionate towards him as a son. And I think because of the fall of Adam and Eve that we all maybe have a tendency to have that. We are cut off but because of the spiritual death. We're cut off from his presence. True. And the remembering is in our future, hopefully. If we don't have that remembering in our future, then we unfortunately will live a life that is untethered and without direction, which will bring nothing but devastation like we talked about earlier to us. That's right, Scott. And the accuser of our brethren, uh, that amazing title given to Satan by John in the book of Revelation. You know, Satan, the accuser, is always telling, accusing us, God doesn't love you. You're not worthy of his love. You'll never be worthy of his love. Who do you think you are? Yeah. And he always accuses us. Yeah, and, and you know, for some of us, you know, this is, so this is where, for me, this is where I really struggle with the accuser often, still is uh, if they only knew, if, yeah. if those that you serve really knew about you, 
or oh, or yeah. you know you're I, I'm called to a position. I wonder if my state president really knows yeah. about me. I wonder. Oh, we've all had those. Yeah, thoughts, yeah, we? yeah. I, I mean, I'll be going. I'm going to the temple this afternoon. It's our ward conference this week, and uh, we've all committed as a ward council to do that. But there will be time, and and I go out of town this weekend, so I won't be able to attend with the rest of them. But there will be times when I'm sitting in the temple, David, and I and I can hear the accuser when I'm sitting in the temple. Scott, you don't belong here. Yeah, sometimes you carry those thoughts in there with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it's so so hard and sad because of the experiences that we have here in mortality. Uh, all of us have our own little secrets, right? Our own dirty secrets that we put yeah, in yeah. the closet. Yeah. And uh, and they keep and, us a little bit sick. And our, our, <laughs> our sins, yeah. often we shame ourselves over and over and over again. We'll talk later in this course, since this is a right. course on yeah. repentance and forgiveness. Yeah. I am anxious to have that discussion, the difference between guilt, godly sorrow and guilt, and shame. Uh, you know, shame is from Satan and guilt is from God, and guilt's positive and shame is negative. But it's amazing how he shames us yeah, and uh, keeps us from feeling the love of God. Well, furthermore, it's amazing how we're, we allow that to take place in ourselves, even with our testimonies, even with the knowledge that we do have. You know, yeah, and he and he masks our identity, Scott. Yeah, I mean, he is yeah. the great. We we have a problem in this uh, country, in the world, as far as identity theft. It's a major problem right now, right? And uh, he's the master thief of identity. And if he can get us to not understand who we are, meaning including meaning and including our premortal existence, mm-hmm. who we were there and how we defeated him there, and how fierce we were there on accepting and following and defending the plan of redemption and our Savior and Redeemer. If he can get us to to never see that, to never believe that, and to just go based upon the fallen mortal experiences we have here, then he's already stolen our identity. It's just so important that we try to understand who we were in the pre-mortal existence and how valiant and true and noble and faithful we were there. I hadn't uh, planned to talk about this, but I read an article this morning, and I sent you a copy of it. You know, um, in 1990-something, I I, I can't quote exactly, but in 1990-something, the opioid opioid epidemic started, and, and white men... That's this cross section. I'm I'm not I'm not differentiating, but that was the article. the The cross section that was studied was white men between the ages of 45 and 65, I believe. And what we have seen happen is an increase in what they call deaths of desperation. And this is uh, what's the source? Uh, this Where was from. This? So I I got this from Market Watch. Market Watch. <laughs> yeah, which is I. Think I that's what I saw when you sent it. it to it's me. Market Watch. I had uh, to do some uh, financial research this morning for a thing I had to do, but then and this I, is based on a study. That yeah, a study. This is just reporting on that study, yeah. and 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 what they have found. You know, to kind of summarize, they're summarizing. But what I'll do is even further summarize. But what what it boils down to is uh, we have seen an exit from religion or an, a, a conscientious effort to separate ourselves from anything godlike, 
including religion and things of that nature. And since that has happened, see, they, they, they noticed that during this period of time, there was an increase in mortality of that cross-section. White men, 45 to 65, I believe. Uh, and But what they went back and further studied is because this phenomenon that we are experiencing now with pe- people leaving religion like crazy, we're calling it the great exit, right? I mean... People are leaving religion completely. And yeah, I, we see it a lot in, in our church. We do, but, but it's it, not just our church. But, I mean, I, I read the reports, too, and and the, 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 not just leaving religion, yeah. but leaving behind their belief in God. Yeah, that, and that's, that's the main thing. That's the main thing is, you know, that their belief in God, the religion helps us create a relationship with God, but a belief in God, it just at the core is missing. And what they have found is, is those deaths that have been spiking, and I can't tell you exactly the percentage increase, but it's devastating. The percentage increase in what we call deaths of desperation. And so a death of desperation is a suicide. It's a death that's been propagated because of a an addiction, you know, alcoholism, abuse, all of those things, you know, um, spousal abuse, all desperation, deaths of desperation. Well, they've gone up since we've noticed or since they've noticed in this paper the exit from religion. And so as men in that cross-section were exiting religion, exiting a relationship with God, so to speak, mm-hmm. they're the mortality rate in what we call deaths of desperation, we're, we're going up. And Satan laughs. Yeah. Like he does in Moses, yeah. right? We yeah. read in Moses yeah. Yeah. that he, when when the world is being destroyed by a flood, yeah. Satan's got a chain in his hand and he laughs. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't win, Scott. No. He yeah. cannot win. Now, he doesn't know that because he's such a liar that he he somehow again believes he can pull it off here, uh, even though he failed there, and uh, he's going to fail here. Th- that even all of those who uh, are involved in deaths of desperation, uh, they're gonna, they're redeemed, they're redeemed, uh, they're they're going to be resurrected, they're going to have the opportunity to repent in the spirit world, uh, they're going to have experiences there that, that it's not over. It's not over, Scott, until it's over. And when Jesus Christ said, my work is not over until I have saved all of God's children. Wow. You know, that's that's a quote. I don't have it right here in front of me, but that's a quote from Joseph F. Smith, who was who I, I love the story told by Boyd K. Packer, quoting Harold B. Lee, quoting Joseph F. Smith. And this is the story. Boyd K. Packer said he was a new general authority. He was with Harold B. Lee, who wasn't at the time president of the church, but was an apostle, training Boyd K. Packer, the new, newest general authority. And they're, they're, they've gone to visit some stakes. And uh, they're in a motel room, and Boyd K. Packer says his phone rings, and he answers the phone, and it's uh, Elder, Elder Lee, Harold B. Lee. And uh, uh, Elder Lee says, Boyd, Boyd, come in, come over here, come over to my room, and so Boyd goes over to his room, and he he described uh, Elder Harold B. Lee in his uh, in his uh, uh, robe. He's wearing this uh, this big night robe, and he says, "Listen to this, Boyd. Listen." And 
Harold B. Lee reads from Gospel Doctrine, the book, which is a compilation of all of Joseph F. Smith's writings and teachings. And he quotes that amazing quote, which is one of my favorite, that Jesus' work will not be finished until all of God's children are saved. Now, Scott, I don't know what that means, and I know that even those in the telestial kingdom are saved, even they get some glory. Uh, those who go to outer darkness, I wouldn't consider they're saved, but they, they are saved from death. They are redeemed from death, and who knows what will be their end. We don't really know, Scott. I I once asked the Brother Matthews, who wrote the Bible Dictionary, what's the end result of Sons of Perdition? And uh, he quoted the scripture in Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, uh, why don't you turn there and we should read this because uh, he section 29 is actually these verses are describing the sons of perdition and he said well this is this is what the all the, the Lord has said about it I mean we do, we really don't know you know the the, the, fi- the final judgment or when it or when it is all going to be over we don't really know and um so this is uh, verse 29, or sorry, section 29, verse 28. 28. <laughs> you, you want to read Yeah, it? yeah. It says, wherefore, I will say unto them. And that's those who go to outer darkness. Right, okay. Wherefore, I will say unto them, depart from me, ye, cur- ye, cursed, it, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And now, behold, I say unto you, never at any time... Have I declared from mine own mouth that they should return? For where I am, they cannot come, for they have no power. Okay, so they have no power. They, they, uh, he, he says, I have never, I've never declared from my mouth that they should return. But he doesn't say that they shouldn't either. Right? Yeah. And, then, and yeah. then look at verse 30. But remember that all my judgments are not given unto men. There you go. And as that was Brother Matthew's answer to me, David, he said, the Lord has not given us all his judgments for obviously a wise purpose. He has not told us everything. We don't know the whole story. We don't know really how it ends. And I, I just, I just find hope in that, that, that Jesus Christ is, is not going to be finished with his work until all of the children of men, all of God's sons and daughters, have had every opportunity, every possible chance of turning back to him as their father. That's how much God loves his children, Scott. That's, and he is so intentional about that, sending his son, sending the gospel. I think sometimes people are born into this world who don't enjoy all the blessings of the gospel because God loves them. And he doesn't want to hold them to a higher level of accountability. Everything that God does for his children is because he loves them. And that that leads us to that amazing scripture in 2 Nephi, Scott, chapter 28, I believe. Um, This is always my go-to scripture that so many things that we don't understand, um, even sometimes policies and practices in the in the church and and events uh, world events and world scripture so many difficult questions 
that we can't answer, and yet I think that this, uh, this scripture answers it. So in Second Nephi chapter 26, verse 24, kind of my go-to scripture to answer some of my own questions and sometimes problems and questions of others, and there's so many circumstances and situations that we don't know why it, it's that way. But here's here's the principle and the pattern and uh, the absolute truth. So Second Nephi 26, verse 24. He doeth not anything, save it be for the benefit of the world. For he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore, he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. <laughs> Think of that. Yeah, that's uh, quite remarkable. Think of that, Scott. Yeah, quite remarkable. God doesn't do anything. Nothing. Nothing. Save it be for the benefit of Scott Durfee, David Durfee, my children, your children, the world. Because he loved. He loves us. We sure get spiritual amnesia, don't we? <laughs> we talked about that last week if a little we could bit. just remember, right? If we could just remember who we are, if we could just not take ourselves so doggone serious. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, we have a rule, rule number 64. Don't take yourself so darn serious, you know? <laughs> and I think that that's... Um, I think that's important for us. I, I, you know, you started this podcast today talking about some feelings that you had been having about Isaac, uh, your son. Yeah. And, and you used the word devastation. And I, I think we can all to some level or some degree relate to that. And, and, it, I, and it occurs to me, David, that oftentimes we feel that in our lives, not because necessarily, we sometimes do because of what's happening in our own lives, but the devastation that a parent feels because of what's happening in a child's life is pretty much undescribable. And it's because of love. I wonder if when we fully embrace the atonement of Jesus Christ and all that it is, I, I, and we begin to work it in our own lives first, uh, and as an example, another thing that I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous that's so important for me is that we um, put principles before personalities, mm. you know. So I'm not worried so much about learning um, or, or the personalities or what's happening with other people so much as what's happening in my own life, you know. And if I apply the principles of the atonement of Jesus Christ in my own life, then the devastation that I I, I I believe that I'm perceiving among his children, which may include my own children, uh, you know, it might be just a little bit differently viewed. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that today. Yeah. Well, um, we are sons and daughters of God, Scott. And he loved us so much that he gave us a plan. Not only a general plan of happiness or the great plan of happiness or the plan of salvation or the plan of redemption or the plan of mercy, but he gave you a plan. He gave me a plan. All of his children have a plan. And uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ, I mean, that's the objective of this course. The objective of this course is how can we draw on the power of Jesus Christ through his redeeming blood? His entire plan 
was based upon that event. We were able to conquer Satan in the pre-mortal existence through the blood of the Lamb. We will conquer him here in this life because of the blood of the Lamb, and it will go on and on in infinite atonement. But what's really motivating and the power behind all of this is God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Think of it. I mean, and and the great prototype in the scriptures is, right, Abraham. Abraham, when he was asked to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. I mean, I think anybody who reads those chapters in Genesis, they, they, a father kind of puts themselves, or a mother, I think Sarah knew about that, by the way, and I, I think Sarah went along with that, and I did believe Mother in Heaven went along with all of this plan, of course, that their firstborn in the spirit world, he who was more intelligent than them all, Jesus Christ, they would sacrifice him on an altar. For us. For us. For all of the rest of us. N- Individually, what? infinitely and intimately for us. Right. And the sacrifice was done for us regardless of what and who we are. Absolutely. But knowing who we are and knowing our worth. That begins to qualify us. So we all know this scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 18, verse 10. Scott, if if you want to just, just turn there. And it says, For the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. We all know that scripture. For the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. But nobody, everybody can quote, I think, that, or, or we all, we're all aware of that. But what does verse 11 say, Scott? For behold, the Lord your Redeemer suffered death in the flesh, wherefore he suffered the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. So what's our worth? It's immeasurable. Because a God gave his life for you and for me. My life was worth the life of a God. The worth of souls is great because... He was willing to sacrifice and die and give his life for me. When we begin to understand that part of our identity and uh, our infinite worth, it, it really changes everything. That's, that's the motivation, I think, um, the, the, the power that we need to be able to continue to, to love him because we know he loved us first and to follow him and to repent and to strive to keep his commandments, right. which I hope we can all do. And it all boils down to our identity. Uh, our identity will determine our eternity. You know, we've, we have so many tools in front of us, and I, and I really hesitate to use the word tools, but I don't know what else to use in place of that, because 
you know, we, we have the, we have the, uh, the spirit that, you know, as we partake of the sacrament and we renew covenants and we're going to talk about so important, not, we're going to not talk about not just his name, but how we, do we take his name upon us? How do we enter those covenant relationships and what all does that entail and what does that mean? And yes. as we begin to build gift on gift and precept on precept and, and mercy on mercy and merit, his merit on merit, not our own, man, I, I think that it's difficult once we begin to understand those things and really take them in and be honest about a relationship with those ideas. It's difficult for us to look in the mirror and see anything but, uh, you know, absolute divinity. Yeah. And and going to the house of the Lord, going to the house of the Lord, I think the great motivation for me when I go to the house of the Lord is I get to hear the voice of God. Right. I hear the voice of the Son. I get a glimpse into their love for me that they were willing to send Adam and Eve down here and that Adam and Eve were willing to sacrifice, that they were willing to leave the garden for me so that we could experience mortality, so that we could experience the trials and tribulations and all that mortality provides us, and a redeemer. And everything, everything in the temple is centered around the atonement of Jesus Christ we spend a lot of time on the fall, which we'll spend a whole podcast on in the coming weeks. But when I when I go to the temple and hear the voice of God and consider uh, all that He's done for me and the the great plan of redemption, uh, man, it it is a that's why President Nelson right tells us about this spiritual momentum and the blessings that we receive when we go to the house of the Lord. So. Um, tools that's just another tool he's given us so many tools to feel his love the word of the lord we can feel his love when we read the scriptures prayer we can feel the his spirit when we serve and and serve in the church and magnify callings all that music inspired music can help us to feel the love of god and the power of christ in our life so you're right about that and everything scott is to help us, man is, Adam fell that men might be and men are, that they might have joy. In my life, Scott, I love my life. <laughs> yeah. Because I know God loves me and has a plan for me. Yeah. I, got a, I got a cute little story maybe and then I'll be done. <laughs> I love this little story. I heard Joseph Fielding McConkie tell this story. And he was a great, he was the son of Bruce R. McConkie, uh, who was the son-in-law of Joseph Fielding Smith. Bruce R. McConkie's wife was the daughter of the president of the church. And Joseph, uh, F. McC- uh, Joseph F. McConkie was um, the oldest son of Bruce R. McConkie. And uh, he was giving a, a, pr- a primary talk one day. And you'd have to kind of know his personality. He was kind of, he was a lot like Elder McConkie. He was strong and bold and mm-hmm. came off as being kind of sometimes a little brash, <laughs> which they weren't. They're very loving and humble. But anyway, he stands up to give a primary talk when he was like eight or nine years old. And he stands up and he says, My granddad 
is the president of the church. I'm the grandson of the president of the church. And he went on and gave his talk, you know, his little primary talk. He said the girl that got up to give the talk after me, the two and a little half, two and a half minute talk, she got up and she said, well, I'm a child of God. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that, there's some perspective for you. And he, yeah. it totally just, even as a young child, it really affected him. Wow, I am a child of God. Scott, I know that's true in my, in my heart and spirit. And I just, I know that's true. We are sons and daughters of loving heavenly parents. And uh, and it makes all the difference knowing that that they love me even in my extremities, in my sins, in my deficiencies, in all of the 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 phoniness and fake things that I go through in this life, and the hard things and the bad things, and the, they still love me. I I know they love me. I know it's universal, I know it's eternal, and uh, that they're intentional and they're intense in their love for me. And that, that gives me the motivation I need to repent and to seek the power of Christ in my life so that I can return and live with them yeah. and my family. Right. I love that. And, and, you know, you say the, that gives you the motivation, and I, and I love that, too. And, and for me, it actually empowers me, too, right? To know who I am gives me the power that is lacking that, that you know, we hear about of the sons of perditions. They don't have the power to come where I am. And, and I'm grateful for that today. I'm grateful, too, as, I, as my identity becomes more clear. And it's easier for me, too, to align myself with my heavenly father's will when my identity becomes more clear to me i'm grateful that we've had a i'm grateful that we've had this opportunity to talk about these so important things our identity and and really finding joy in our own life and and how do we uh, how do we deal with devastation and the difference between that and desperation and you know and i think i might just extend an invitation right here to our listeners david as we go through this week, um, particularly after and in preparation for taking the sacrament this week, as we do that, uh, I invite us all to have a notebook or, or maybe somewhere on our phone where we can record. It's an interesting exercise. I've done this before, and I ask others to do it, oftentimes in recovery as well. But just for this week, if we would just take a minute and record the the opportunities that we have had during a day or during the week to feel Heavenly Father's love for us, to have a glimpse of who we are. And we start writing those things down. I find that the more I focus on those, there's, a, there's real power in focus. The more I focus on those, the more real they become to me. Thank you, Scott. That's a great invitation. Thank you. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, gang, thanks for being with us this week. Uh, we look forward, as always, to being with you again next week as well. Uh, just another uh, invitation, if you will. For those of you who have suggestions or questions, please don't hesitate to send those to us. You can do it at us at gmail.com. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>